It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Small businesses bring Utah together. They inspire goodness and connect communities. These are their stories from Mighty Main Street, brought to you by the Utah Office of Tourism and Visit Salt Lake. Here's our host, Chris Redgrave, on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We have a local Utah business show on KSL Radio every Sunday called Mighty Main Street, the faces and places of Utah. We're interviewing our small business owners and organization leaders who are working hard to navigate our current market. Thanks to our underwriters, Visit Salt Lake and Utah Office of Tourism. Mark Jesperson is with us right now. He's the owner of Altitude Cycling. And Mark, you're located in Vernal and Price, right? We are. We have a location in both cities in eastern Utah. Which one was your first one? Well, my first one is in Price. And that's where my family lives. And we've been there owning the bike shop for about eight years now. And we acquired the Vernal location uh, last summer from the original owner. Now, you have to be a cycling enthusiast uh, to have such a vibrant business, especially when people check out your website. Is this a family sport? Uh, how How is your family involved in this? Well, it's true. I am a cycling enthusiast and I love everything to do with the outdoors. Um, I was a BMX kid back in Texas where I grew up, uh, raced for a couple of seasons. And when I moved to Utah, I got into mountain biking, which in the early 90s was a lot different than it is today. Uh, The bikes have changed dramatically, and the development of trails have changed dramatically since the early 90s when I started mountain biking. And we take our kids along with us. Uh, My wife and I have always just dragged them along with what we like to do. So they like to cycle as well. Uh, One of my daughters is in the NICA Mountain Bike League here in Utah, which is a lot of fun. And Amy, your wife, Amy, right? And she likes to cycle as well. She's an an enthusiast. Yes, we used to go on date cycling. So (laughs) we kind of had a, a reprieve there when our kids were really little. It was hard to get out and cycle together and even cycle alone sometimes. But as I've gotten older, it's gotten a lot easier, and then we got into the business of cycling and selling new bikes as well as doing service and repair work on all kinds of makes and models and uh, kind of growing from there. Have you seen a lot of families that do this as a family sport? Yes and no. Sometimes people like to have their own thing to do, and that's what they like to do apart from their family time, and so they get out and cycle. But then there's instances where the whole family gets involved in cycling. Uh, We just saw that last year with the family in Price. Their son joined the mountain bike team, and all of a sudden, the brother was riding bikes, and the the mom decided to buy a bike, and the dad bought a bike. And pretty ironic, the dad made fun of me for 10 years riding bikes and now he's riding bikes so (laughs) it it can be a family thing or it can be you know just you and your buddies or just you and your dog it's really a sport or a hobby or just a lifestyle for a whole range of people and circumstances without a doubt give us an idea of some of the new hot products right now I i can't believe how people are so pumped up about the electric bikes they're just i mean everybody i know that has one loves them so uh, 
Yeah, give us an idea of new hot products right now and what you're excited about as a as the owner of Altitude Cycling. Well, cycling itself, when people get out and ride a quality bike with quality parts and suspension, if they're into mountain biking or just a quality road bike, they will just kind of gravitate to it and do it more often because the quality of the experience is much better. E-bikes is a whole different animal. We're seeing e-bikes as the technology is getting better the battery life's getting better, the output, power output is getting better, and the prices are coming down. And as that continues to trend the next couple of years, you'll see more and more e-bikes, whether they're e-bikes commuting around work or cruising around the neighborhood or e-bikes for trail riding. That poses a whole nother problem in our public lands, e-bikes out there on non-motorized trails and how people classify that. But there's an e-bike for everybody. Uh, My father and mother-in-law are great examples of the goodness of e-bikes. As they're about 80 years old, they get out regularly and ride their e-bikes. And they couldn't do it on the regular bike. There's too many hills in Utah, and they just don't have the leg strength to power up these hills that are all over Utah. And so the e-bike really solves that problem and keeps them active in their advanced years. Well, so tell us how it works. I mean, you're, you're able to uh, use the e-bike, and then you can also pedal, so you can get some exercise as well, besides just being on the great outdoors of Utah, which is uh, so wonderful for our mindset and for the stress that, we're, that we've been going through the last little while. Uh, how do these bikes oh, work? Sure. Well, there's different types. They call them different classifications. But the, probably the best way to describe that is, is there's companies out there that are putting together a bike with motors and making it an e-bike. And then there's companies out there that are bicycle companies like Specialized or Scott, uh, Rocky Mountain, that are bicycle companies first, and they have engineered their bikes with motors and batteries. And the ride difference is night and day. And a lot of the companies that are bicycle companies first making e-bikes are pedal assist e-bikes. And that is you have to pedal the bike to engage the motor versus these other e-bike companies that aren't bicycle companies. They're putting together an e-bike and they have throttles like an ATV does or they have the pedal assist. So you can do either or option. You can just hit the throttle, kick your feet up. And you can go 25 miles an hour down the road. Wow. We typically, as a cycling company, like the pedal assist version because it's still cycling. Because you have to pedal. You have to engage with the bike to make it work. And that's the same whether it's an e-bike or not a bike. You know, I kind of gravitate towards those that are bicycle companies first. And they've made and engineered e-bikes. And there's a real difference when you ride one versus the other side by side. Uh, What you're saying makes sense. Are we seeing any challenges with these bikes? I mean, are people getting a little carried away and flying down the street 25 miles an hour? Uh, I haven't seen that too much. I mean, you can. You can go faster than a car in a, you know, residential neighborhood, which in and of itself is a little risky. But uh, I haven't seen or heard much problems that way as far as with traffic and, and that kind of thing. Um, as I mentioned, public lands is in a discussion with how do they treat e-bikes? Well, there's those two classifications. One requires you to pedal and one doesn't. Is that considered a motorized vehicle then? And so there's a big discussion going on in our public lands, whether it's Forest Service or uh, Bureau of Land Management uh, and even state lands, 
how to treat this new technology. There's real no clear answer yet. <laughs> well, so tell us about some of the other products. Because I know you've got, we have stuff for children as well, right? Yeah, we carry a, a whole range of youth bikes. Ones with gears that are just kind of miniature mountain bikes or whether they're BMX style. It's great when kids get involved in cycling. And it's great that a lot of cities and towns are starting to cater to that. Instead of building more parks with swings, they're building parks for bikes. Um, And that's going to just create a healthy lifestyle for that individual that will last them for decades. Uh, It's great to see communities getting invested in cycling a little more with pump tracks and jump lines and development of trails in their communities, bike lanes in towns, um, just to kind of foster that activity. I so appreciate you saying that, Mark, because when you look at our municipalities and our cities, they get notarized for the bike trails that they've created. That's a selling point of why to live in that community. We have cities right now that are known for their bike trails and like how long they go. You know, like you can really get on the trail. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, St. George has done a great job as they require their developers to put in bike lanes for in those developments. And that's just a great foresight on their part. It's hard to kind of retroactive things. It's a lot easier to, in the planning stages, going forward with new development to do stuff. It's a lot harder to make changes to existing stuff. You know, it also comes down to funding. The people's perception of people who cycle is sometimes not always great. And so there's a lot of roadblocks that hindered that development. I'm glad that it sounds like your business is doing well. You probably saw a surge with uh, some of the lockdown and the fact that we're working from home right now. So it sounds like your business is doing well. Where would people go to find out where all the cool bike trails are in the state of Utah? Is there a site that we can go to? Uh, You can always talk to your local bike shop like Altitude Cycle and come in and find out the local stuff. There's apps that you can download that are free or require paid service. And there's websites the old-fashioned internet, where you can pull up some websites and get access to trail data, as well as some of the various government agencies have access or maps on their website or in their facilities. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your contribution to our community and and to our health. Uh, All the best to you and Amy and to Altitude uh, Cycling. Give us your website address in closing, please. AltitudeCycling.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook under Altitude Cycle. Thank you so much. All the best. Mark, I'll see you on the trails. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. You've been listening to the KSL Show, Mighty Main Street. Check us out on the podcast page of kslnewsradio.com. I'm Chris Redgrave. For more cool local business stories, I'll see you here next Sunday at noon on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.